0: Hey, morning. Morning. Wow, well, I, uh, I sort of feel undone already, and a lot of the stuff that's been on my heart to share with you this morning has been spoken about. I I could just sit down. It'll be job done, honestly. Um, but I just want to pray for us before we start this. I, I don't know about you, but it feels like sometimes when we see things that are going on, Uh, physically in the world, uh, I don't know about you, but the Lord gets notice of my heart of what's happening spiritually, and we have had a lot of storms in the last week and a half, and I don't know about you, but it feels like um, to me that as we have got deeper into this, into his word, and we've got closer to the heart of God, the storms of life come, And they're not easy. And I just want to say to you, if you have found in your life in the last week, week and a half um, in particular, and we've heard some of that this morning, um, that the storms of life. I just want to say this morning, we have a king who reigns victorious. That doesn't give us any guarantee of how things go here. But I want to remind us that we have a king who sits on the throne and is victorious over every plan. Of the enemy to distract us from what he wants to say. What he wants to do in our heart. So I'm going to pray for us that we would still our hearts right now. And we would focus on him. Not the distractions of life that have been going on in our lives. But we would fix our hearts on him afresh. But we need his help with that. So let's pray. Holy Spirit. Come. Come. Fill us afresh with the heart of the Father in heaven and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us where your word and your spirit meet is a place that is just beautiful intimacy and transformation in our hearts. And we long for that, Lord. And so we surrender ourselves to you afresh, right now. Speak, Lord. We're listening. In your name we ask it. Amen. Um, I, I want to get to the end of where we're at in this series today. And there's a couple of things of... Um, why I've wanted to end here uh, because it's not the end of a series it's the beginning of something in this we have a God who has promised in him that we would have a hope and a future and I want to focus our eyes on that as we come to the end of this because that's what we need to carry into our everyday not just those outside of the church but us as well The good news, we're going to focus on that this morning, just exactly where Billy led us into. That's where we're going this morning. The good news is for all of us. I go back to one of the, I'm going to have to apologize because I probably will get emotional this morning because this stuff um, was planted in my heart when I was at the lowest point in my life. Jesus spoke hope where I could see no hope. And all I want to do this morning is to share that with you. I want you to see how all of Scripture, all of it, okay, Old Testament and New, speaks of the good news that we find in Jesus. And all I want to try and do this morning is we're going to have a little bit of an overview linking Jeremiah into the New Testament Why? Because all of this is good news, all of it. Even the stuff that we can't work out, even the stuff that we find is tough going. And where is God in that? I hope you've seen a little bit in the last few weeks of how we can look at a passage afresh and see God's heart in it. A passage that is really difficult. But yet there's the beauty of God in it all. That's what we have been looking at in Jeremiah as we have looked back at a people who were consistently turning away from him. This faithful covenant husband to his bride, the people of Israel, remained faithful and consistently called them back into loving relationship with him. We have seen that. He rises up people like Josiah, King Josiah, to bring around an outer reformation, but it can only go so far. And so he rises up Jeremiah to see a revival where? In here. That's where it matters. That's where he wants to deposit hope and a future. And we see that he consistently, even last week, when the people time and time again don't turn back to him, he keeps saying, would you now return to me? And I can't tell you the amount of times I've read Jeremiah and hoped (laughs) that they would turn back. It's like there's a, one of my favourite movies, Catch Me If You Can, where he's trying to escape from, that's Leonardo DiCaprio's character, he's trying to escape from Tom Hanks, the police officer. And time and time again, he makes all these daring moves. And in and, and my world, I always watch it afresh, hoping, will he get away or will he not? And it's the same every time as you maybe have read through Jeremiah, you think, how could they not turn back? How? That's a question that this is meant to reflect back to us. How could we not turn back? (laughs) Jeremiah 25. He says, For 23 years, from the 13th year of young Josiah the king, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me. That's Jeremiah. And I have spoken to you again and again, but you've not listened. That breaks my heart. And though the Lord has sent his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. This is something that is not just unique to Jeremiah. And as we read through that book, it's right throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, God faithful to his people. And they, instead of turning to him, turn away from him and forsake him. And yet... He persistently says, come back to me. I have loved you with an unfailing love and drawn you in with an irresistible and an unending grace and compassion. And so I just want to say to us, MCF, as we reach the end of this little mini-series, Has it made any difference in our lives? Have you listened, not to what I have said, get that out of your hearts, to what the Lord has been saying to you through this? And I ask you simply, are we going to return to him? Maybe you're here and you would be someone who says, I I don't know what it means to follow Jesus. I simply want to offer that invitation to you. Would you now return to him? He is calling and relentlessly pursuing you. I want to show you what he wants to give you. Not just forgiveness as if that's not enough in itself, but a hope and a glorious future with him. You see, the people, as we read through Jeremiah, they hadn't just broke their promise. What had happened was they had broken their side of the bargain, their side of this covenant that had been made. That's what the Old Testament is all about, the old covenant. They had broken consistently their part of the bargain. And so the Lord gets to a point where he says, and you can read this later in Jeremiah. Let me say something about Jeremiah. It's not a chronological order. It's a little bit all over the place. And so today we're going to journey through this. But I encourage you to get into this. And there will be passages we will read from it. But I need to give you the overall story. God gives the ones he loves into the hands of her enemies. This is not a God saying, I have forgotten you. This is the people who consistently have said, we don't want you. And we're going to keep going back to our worth as idols. And this is the beauty of who God is. He will never force you into a decision. And if you've ever felt forced into a decision in a church gathering, I want to say sorry to you for that. Because that's not the Lord's heart. His heart is, would you come back to me? Would you return to me? And the people decide they don't. And so he gives them over to the nations who introduced these worthless idols that they keep coming back to time and time again. And I wonder as you read this, is there a little bit in your head that thinks, but how could God do this? Didn't he say he would never leave or never forsake his people? Yeah, he does. Hold your horses for a moment because we will get there. The story continues and you will see this beautiful heart of God in all of this. But I want to show you something that the Lord has shown me this week for the first time. And I've been reading this for seven years. He can speak afresh. See, God is in the business of redeeming the seemingly hopeless situations. He is faithful in fulfilling his promise to Abraham that his descendants would be a blessing to all people, to the nations. So in this moment, a tragedy like the Babylonians invading and carrying his people off into exile, he remains faithful to his promise that his people will bless the nations. How do I know that? Jeremiah 29 in his letters to the exiles. Look what he's saying. You build and you settle down there. You marry and find wives and have daughters and sons. Be fruitful and multiply. It's what he said at the beginning of scripture. Part of our creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply. God's still faithful. He also says seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Into which I have carried you into exile. Pray for it. I wonder what our reaction would be if we were carried off into a foreign land under a foreign ruler with a foreign God. Would it be to pray for the peace and the prosperity of that nation? I I don't know. Who knows? Yet God reaches out to these nations that have been enemies and says, I want to bless you. That's... Our God's heart. A God who wants us, his people, to have the same heart as he has. A heart that says, don't just love those who are nice to you. Love your enemies. And so he be's a blessing to the nations that he calls his people. That, that just blows my mind. Isn't he amazing? So back to that question, what about this thing? He said he'll never leave or never forsake. And it seems like he's given his people over to the enemies. Is that not forsaking them? Not a chance. Not a chance. He comes good. We read later in chapter 29. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place he chases after them he says i know the plans i have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope in the future that is not just some little verse that is meant to make us feel good about ourselves that is a verse that has so much more depth in it when we understand who we are and who the people are that he was speaking this to Time and time and time again, turning away from him. And he says, I will chase after you and I will give you. I, the Lord, will give you a hope and a future. (sighs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, there was a future and a hope for Israel. And there is a future and a hope for you and me. Not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. We are his. We are his, his masterpieces, his beauties that he delights over. They may have broken the covenant, but they cannot. It's impossible for them to break his love. All the same, this forgiveness could not come in the terms of the old covenant. Why? Because then God wouldn't be true to his word. If if he's a just God, he has to stick by his word. And so it couldn't be the old covenant he would bring this forgiveness. There would have to be a new covenant. And that new covenant is where we find hope and a future. Let me read this to you. You can turn to this in Jeremiah 31. He says, Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This Is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is beautiful. A new covenant based on similar things to the old covenant in that it's namely a reciprocal relationship. I will be their God. They will be my people. It's still relational. It requires a response from them, but they will also receive blessing of forgiveness and restoration from the Lord. It wasn't that the Old Covenant was bad or stupid. There was just one thing that was wrong with it. It relied on us people to be good to our word in it. Unfaithful Judah and faithless Israel would be required to be faithful. will <laughs> not going to happen. He'd give all those years in the Old Testament for it to happen didn't happen once. Something would have to change. God himself needed to step in and say, see your side of the bargain. I'm going to take that for you. I'm going to take that. The old covenant was all about thou shall or thou shall not. Look at what it says here. I will, I will, I will, I will, he will, he is faithful, our God. Isn't it beautiful? But he does say, it will be after that time, or in verse 31, the days are coming. So we're going to come back to this, because this has direct consequences for us today. It has a relationship that goes into the New Testament, but I want to continue the story in this. Okay, because this is important for us to grasp. I want to show you this little, this is just a little bit of a timeline that will give you where we go from Jeremiah to reach the New Testament when Jesus comes, the Messiah. You see, what happens is God does give him, his people over to the Babylonians. That's the first empire that will invade and takes them over. And they're under their rule. How does he bring about his plan to see them come home? (laughs) Through the Persians. They, the Persian Empire, Cyrus was their ruler and he said, you can return home. And so the people get to go home after 70 years. But do you know what happens when they return to the land? I'm sorry to say this, spoiler alert, just the same thing. You would think 70 years would change something. (sighs) Not one iota. Outer Reformation, rebuilding the temple, focusing on reforms. Read Ezra and Nehemiah. You'll see all about it. And what does God have to do? He has to raise up another prophet with a heart like his called Zechariah. And Zechariah calls the people to do what? (laughs) Return to the Lord. History repeats itself. And at the end of the Old Testament, we get this prophet called Malachi who says, We can't do this. There is a new king coming, the Messiah, who we now know is Jesus. It's beautiful, and yet it's heartbreaking at the same time, because then they enter into a year, uh, 400 years of what seems like silence from the Lord. And the more I've sat with this, the more I can't help but feel that he set. For 400 years, like a broken hearted husband or a broken hearted father, deep in grief and lament, because he had given chance after chance after chance, and he needed space. <laughs> he needed time. He needed to give them a chance to reflect. But over those 400 years, you know what ends up happening? The Macedonians, this is not in scripture, but I love history and have. Been looking at this. The Macedonians take um, control of what was then Palestine by that time under Alexander the Great, and that's where we get the Greek culture that comes in. All these mismatches of culture, and then we get to where almost we're at at the New Testament. Romans, the Romans take charge under Pompey. You know what's happened all this time? They've just fallen further and further and further away from the Lord. Getting more and more and more forsaken as a people. And what happens is when we take our eyes off the Lord and rely on our broken cisterns. You know where it always ends up? Division. A fractured society. And it was no different here. It was all about going back to the old covenant rule keeping. Here are the five main factions as we enter into the New Testament of the people. I want to tell you something that breaks my heart. These factions are alive and well today in the church. It's not okay. And as I call them out, I ask you just to challenge your heart. Don't think, "Ah, so-and-so is a Pharisee. What am I, Lord? Are Are there any of these? And then confess it. The Pharisees, legalistic and devoted to the law, Good hearts, but added all these man-made rules that just became heavy and burdensome. The Sadducees, wealthy and seemingly obeyed the law, as long as it didn't interfere with their lifestyle or this Greek Hellenistic lifestyle they had got used to. Oh, no, no, no. Then we're not going to do anything about it. The Essenes, they are the isolationists. Those who would say, well, we're just going to reject society and we'll go off and live in the desert. Away from everything. How can you be a blessing when you're there? They got it wrong. There was the Herodians, Jews in all but name, but really were loyal to Rome. The people who had came and invaded them, they were more interested in their position. And then the zealots. These were political revolutionists who wanted to overthrow. This government at any chance that they could and by any means. This is what the people of God had became. Legalistic, isolationist, wanting to overthrow the government. Did I say more? And it's at this time, this point in history that God says enough is enough. I'm coming good on my promise. This new covenant promise. I'm going to have to come down. And so he comes in the form of a little baby. The Messiah at the darkest moment in the history of Israel, when they were farthest from who they were meant to be, when they were more divided than ever, a Kairos moment, the Kairos moment in all of history, when the saviour of the world comes in the form of a little baby in a manger and says, through his angels, I'm here to bring great joy. The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you what? Good news. Good news. Gospel, I bring you good news that will cause what? Great joy for all people. That is the greatest Kairos moment we have known in history. Why? Because it's changed everything for eternity. It has initiated. This is the moment where the new covenant gets initiated, an eternal covenant That is good news. That is great joy. We are free from the burden of sin. Why? Because this little baby in the manger went to the cross. Why? To keep our part of the bargain. To take our punishment and to take our sin and our failures and our repeated turning away. And says, I'll take them here. heartbreaking and yet beautiful at the same time that he paid the price for our sin and that includes us now the Gentiles grafted into his people whosoever believes in me shall not perish that's the old covenant consequences shall not perish but what receive everlasting life that is the ultimate blessing of the new covenant Because of what Jesus has done. We get to have this everlasting relationship with the Lord. Once again, looking forward to a time where we will walk in the shade of the evening, hand in hand. Fully devoted to him. Fully in awe of him. Isn't that amazing given where we've been in the last few weeks? Brought about by what? His faithfulness. And so Jesus helps to connect the dots in this moment for the Jews that are listening because the night before he died and we're going to celebrate communion at the end, he does this, he brings the bread and the wine and he goes after the supper, he takes the cup and he goes, this cup, my blood, this is the new covenant which is poured out for you. The most beautiful moment in history. And yet it was the most griefful moment for our Jesus. Why? Because he took our grief and exchanges it for joy. That is good news. That is my Jesus. And he can be your Jesus. Because he desires personal relationship with me. Do you see why I believe it's important for us at this table? To not just do something just for the sake of doing it. To not argue over how it should be done or how it shouldn't be. But to come with hearts that are grateful for what he has done for us. To be reminded of the price he paid to get not just, and this is the thing, not just our forgiveness. That is part of the good news. He's also said you will have an everlasting life that begins at that moment. When you receive him into your life. It's beautiful. And this is what Tim Keller, how he beautifully sums this up in a little phrase. He goes, the gospel is this. We are more sinned and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Oh. Just let that sit with you for a moment. See Hebrews. I alluded to this last week in Hebrews 8. He says. This new covenant is established on what? Even greater promises than the old. The goodness of God. He just keeps giving. I don't think we believe this. This. We either don't get it. Or we haven't allowed ourselves to sit with the magnitude of what it is that he is offering us. Let me take you back into Jeremiah 31. As we look at this new covenant again. There's just three things I want to show you in this as we're coming into a close. I promise we're getting there. But These are important because these are the greater promises of this covenant. Number one. Verse 33 says, this covenant I will make, he goes, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. We are to be transformed from within. And that is a promise. Isn't it beautiful that the people who Jeremiah said in chapter 17 had sin engraved in his hearts. The Lord says, I'm going to put my law there. Not a weighty law, but an obedient heart transformed from within through the power of the Spirit. That for us who decide in our lives we are going to follow Jesus, he gives us this wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit within us. Why? So that this stuff can be written in our hearts, placed on our minds, all of eternity, Ecclesiastes says, placed here. In our hearts, we get to know the story. And more than that, as we surrender more of our lives, we are transformed more in his likeness and more in his way. His way, not ours. That's why we can't grieve the Spirit. Second promise in all this, we can know him, not just know about him. See, there's a big difference in this. We think it's all about knowing more about him. And that is helpful. Of course it is. But it's about knowing him. And in this new covenant, we have this direct access to the throne room. Direct access to the Father through Jesus. Amen. It's beautiful. No having to go through leaders or priests or ministers from the least just like what Billy was saying, in it doesn't matter who you are, where you, where you find yourself in society, from the least to the greatest, you're able to know him. And knowing him is this deep, deep knowing of his heart. Bren, Brennan Manning in Ragamuffin Gospel said something as I was reading it, and it deeply has challenged me ever since. So I'm going to share it with you. He says we must never allow the authority of books, institutions or leaders to replace the authority of knowing Jesus Christ personally and directly. Whether you're someone who would say you're outside of faith or inside of faith. If you think it's all about just getting to know more about Jesus, back to the start again. It's about knowing him personally as your Lord, as your Savior, as your Messiah, as the bringer of the new covenant promises, the one who brings everlasting life. Jeremiah, as you read through this, and I encourage you to continue, he constantly says, to know God is to know his ways. It's meant to work itself out. We are meant to be transformed as a new covenant people now, on the other side of the cross, transformed by the Spirit in a way that the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in us. That is how people will know we know Him. If we are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And I challenge us. I challenge myself in this. Are we growing in it? If we're not... Maybe it's because we don't know him enough. And what about this year we get to know him more? That love might be what we're known for. That joy might be what we're known for. Peace. You get it. But we have to make room to surrender and allow him to do that work. We can't work it up ourselves. Do you remember going back to last week? We're going to get it. It's him. And the last promise that is the most rejoiceful. This is the one we sort of get. That our sins are totally forgotten. We get it. But we don't get it fully. Do you know what this means? He says, I will remember their sins. No more. It's gone. That is good news. It seems impossible for us to think, how can he just forgive and forget? It's because of what Jesus did. And it's not just something that God changed his heart in the New Testament. No, 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 no. Read through all of the Old Testament. We've seen it in Jeremiah. His heart, time and time again, has been to offer forgiveness. Come back to me. All is forgotten. You know what is wrong with us, church? We are stuck in our past sin, how could you forgive me, Lord, after what I've done? You know that there's a day you're going to stand before him. You can bring that up if you want. You know what he's going to say? I don't know what you're all about. And you'll look across to Jesus. And he'll say, it is finished. It's gone. Why are you bringing it up? God came in the form of Jesus not to bring an oppressive spirit, but to bring freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. How dare we put burdens on other people? It's not the heart of God. How dare we put legalistic rule keeping on other people? No, no, no. He came to set us free. Not that we use that freedom to just whatever our desires are. But to live free, Galatians 5:1, it is for freedom Christ set you free. And so I want to encourage you this morning, even if you can't work that out fully in yourself right now, stop putting others into a place of slavery and captivity. When my Jesus came to set them free. he forgot. He forgets. I know who he was. <laughs> She forgets, I know what she did. <laughs> that shouldn't be words that are ever uttered in this church. Do you hear me? Because Jesus paid the price for it. So how dare you put those sins back on someone when it cost him his life to get rid of? If we get this church, if we get this, then our hearts should be filled with joy. Joy unspeakable. And I'm not talking about happy clappiness and all of that. That's part of it. But this contentment, this peace in our hearts that is a work of the Spirit. And honestly, in the moment, in the moment where I felt no hope, He gave me this. A joy. And if I could tell you something, that has been constantly tried to be attacked, particularly this week. He came that if we keep our minds fixed on this, as we come to the table, we are meant to be filled with a joy. That's not my words. Jesus in John 15 says, if you remain in me, my joy will be yours and your joy will be complete. (laughs) In Jesus, we have all the joy we will ever need. How do we do that? How do we remain in him? Go back, listen to the end of last week. I gave you a few tips and all of that. They're just a few helpful things, I hope. Work it out. Let's talk about it. But let's sit with him. Let's wait. Let's seek, not outer reformation, but a work of the Holy Spirit on an ongoing and a daily basis. So what are we going to do, MCF? Are we going to be a new covenant people living in the, the blessings and being filled with the awe and wonder, being filled with the good news, And believing it is good news. And seeing that bring great joy in us. Joy. Or are we going to be an old covenant people? Just go back. We'll just follow the rules and the law keeping. And we have to do it ourselves. You know what Hebrews 8 says about all that? And we'll read this as we go into the table. The old covenant is outdated. It's obsolete. It's meant to disappear. Why? Because Jesus came. I want us to stop going back to the old covenant. To something that is outdated and obsolete. I believe there's been a rise of this in the church in the last few years. A rise of the way of the Pharisee. The old covenant rule keeping. No longer. Can't go on we can't go that way. We have to go the way of Jesus, the way that brings freedom, the way that brings joy. We can't do it ourselves. In him and in the outworkings of that through the power of his spirit. Are we going to return to him, MCF? Are we going to wait? Are we going to seek him? Are we going to remain in him? Are we going to abide in him? Are we going to linger and wait And allow Holy Spirit to do a work in us, to remain in His love, not just on a Sunday morning, not just on a Sunday evening, sometimes in our home grips, just wait on the Lord, sometimes corporately together, but every day, every day. Encountering him and his love and his joy and his freedom that is there and freely available, if we would just take our eyes off the distractions and the worthless idols and fix them on him. Eugene Peterson, as he talks about all of this in Jeremiah in his book, Run with the Horses, I encourage you to read it. He says, intention must mature into commitment. It's good to have good intentions about SMCF. We need to be committed to returning to Him daily. Personally, corporately, whatever that looks like. I'm up for journeying that and seeing what it looks like. But we have to remember in here this week as we go in, we are a new covenant people. We are a joy filled people to be a freedom experiencing people. I want to lead you back to the one this morning who offers that. We can't offer you that as a church. You hear me? But Jesus can. All we want to do is just point you towards him. So we're going to do that right now. We're going to end with communion today. We're going to end by focusing our hearts on him, on what he has done for us and what that means for us. And so I want to urge you, as you come, uh, there'll be stewards that will point you in the right direction Just come up, lift the bread and the wine, and take it back to your seat. And in your own time, in your own time, sit with the Lord. His word says we are to examine our hearts. Spend time examining your heart. Are you living in old covenant ways? Are there worthless idols that need removed? Let them do it. This is the place to bring it. And then we remember what he has done for us. Allow your mind to think what it must have been like for him to go through. But as we sit at that lament, then we move forward into the joy and the freedom that there is because of what he's done. And we should leave here as a more joy-filled, hope-filled people than ever. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. And if you're here... I just want to say this. If you've responded in your heart to what Billy challenged earlier on, then the table is welcome for you. You examine your heart on that. Talk to some of us afterwards as well. This is a table that if you know and, and follow and have said, you're my Jesus, then come and we're going to do this. I'm going to read a passage of scripture, then I'm going to pray for us. All we're doing on that is just following his instructions and all of this to focus our minds. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture from Hebrews 8 that links, it's the passage in Jeremiah that um, the author in Hebrews talks about, this high priest of the new covenant. So let me read this to us. Starting at verse six. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as is the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. We've just heard those. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with his people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people No longer will they teach the neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Need I say more? I'm going to pray for us and give thanks. For this, Lord, we are so, so grateful. And we long to be even more grateful for what you have done for us, for what we are about to do, to return to the table where you brought this about, this new covenant, where we give thanks that your body had to be broken for us. We give thanks that your blood was shed for us so that we don't have to live with the weight of the old covenant promise anymore. And all because, rather than the Father turning his face away from us, he he, he turned away from you. So I thank you for the forgiveness that there is in this. Thank you for what this has bought for us. And I thank you that we don't have to, when we ask for the forgiveness of our sins, to try and work ourselves into freedom and eternal life. (laughs) We just simply come and say, thank you, Jesus, you paid the price and it is finished. You're a good God. You're a faithful God and we love you. So we take time to sit with you and reflect on what you've done and what that means for us. And it's in your name we ask that you would bring these things to a reality in our lives. Amen.